In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. When we read through the New Testament, we have the account of the life of Jesus, the Gospels, all those wonderful miracles, and of course the teaching of Jesus. That is followed by the Acts of the Apostles and the account of the growth of the early church and the spread of the church. But then after that, we know there's this whole body of letters from St. Paul, as well as St. Peter and St. John. The vast bulk of it are the letters that St. Paul wrote to some of the early Christian communities. And uh, one of the most famous letters is the letter that he wrote, not so much to an early Christian community, but to one of the early bishops, whose name was Timothy. And St. Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him in his task as a presider over a small community that was growing. And in one of his letters, the first letter to Timothy, as he's giving him pastoral instructions on how to deal with the people of God, he says a very inspiring word. He said to St. Timothy, he said, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Lord wants all men to be saved, to be with him forever. But even before that, he wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth. Those are pretty fascinating words. The idea that you and I can actually tap into the truth. The truth is not something that is merely an opinion that some people have it, some people don't, or that we can never really know it. That we can come to the knowledge of the truth as we reflect on those words of St. Paul that must have been very, very encouraging to uh, St. Timothy. It has to be for us, too, a kind of a hope-filled dream, a real conviction that you and I can know the truth about God, the truth about man, the truth about the world, the truth about the church, and that there is a truth that we can come to know. And we really need to say this slowly, with confidence, especially today in which we are living in a kind of a quagmire of relativism, where everything is unsure, where we can't trust what authorities tell us, or certain people who are apparently are in the know, they tell us, but are, do they have an agenda? We don't know. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. It's very hard today to believe anything that's in the news. Did this happen? Was this 
engineered just to convince us to some ideology, it, it, it makes us very uncertain. Say, maybe we believe in this news, but we don't believe in that one, or this, you know, this person or that person. And everybody gets kind of very uh, uncertain. So what does that mean for us? What does that reality that we can grasp the truth, the truth about God, the truth about man, in the way that God really wants us to know it, what does it really mean for us if that is in fact truly possible? Well, we have a passage from Furrow, which is also very exciting. St. Josemaria says, be sure of this, you need to be fully formed to face the rush of people that is going to press upon us with a specific and urgent question. Well then, what must we do? What must we do? Or what is to be done? That is an example of how urgent it is to be well-formed, well-educated, well-formed in the truth. And that phrase, well then, what must we do, or what is to be done, again, that's, St. Josemaria wrote that, imagining a rush of people that is going to ask us that question, what, what must I do, what do you want me to do, what can I do? Well, where does that question come from? Well, if you were to Google it, what must we do? What must we do? What would be the answer? Uh, come and buy my product. Uh, no, I, I don't know. What must I do? Well, actually, the answer to that is that quote comes from the Acts of the Apostles. It comes from the Bible. And it comes right after Pentecost, right? When Peter who was sleepy before, as probably some of you are right now, <laughs> and, uh, you know, sleepy-headed and groggy and uh, maybe worried. And then after Pentecost, he was completely transformed because the Holy Spirit came upon him, on all the apostles, in these tongues of fire. And now, well, he was on fire, and... There were tons of people around him in Jerusalem, like tons from all these diverse places, you know, like different languages, different countries, creeds, like they were from everywhere. And he went into the central square there in Jerusalem and he, with great uh, audacity and daring, he said, men of Israel, Listen to this message. You can just hear him speaking loudly because there were no speakers, there were no microphones. Jesus of Nazareth was a man certified by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, he was delivered up by God's set plan and foreknowledge. And you by the hands of the, of the lawless, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, releasing him from the agony of death 
because it was impossible for him to be held in its clutches, in the clutch of death. So he was referring there, of course, to the public life of our Lord, how he was crucified, and then he, he, he rose again. And then he goes on to explain with many references to the Old Testament, you know, all these things that they already knew, and then he puts it together that all this you know, ends up in Jesus Christ. And as he explained all this, with lots of references that many of them knew, they were really cut to the heart. Like, they were struck by what he said. And they realized that what he said was true. It was true. He didn't pressure them. He didn't humiliate them. Well, maybe he raised his voice a bit, but that was just so people could hear. But he, Peter, had this deep conviction of the truth of his words. Probably not because he was all that bright or he was all that intelligent, but because the Holy Spirit had come upon him and pretty much made him say many of these words. He was like the star witness of the life of Jesus. He, he was really a cogent testimony. He had spent all those years with Jesus. He was a believable witness. He was honest. He had become knowledgeable. There were people who wanted to do interviews with him. He would start the interview. Right? Yes, I remember the first time I met Jesus. Uh, this happened. Um, it was on the lake of uh, Genesareth. I was there. I used to work there. I was one of the best fishermen around. And, uh, and he would tell this, you know, these, these star interviews. So he was a credible witness. And so as a result of his explanation, what was the question they asked? Probably one person representing all the other people who were listening to this said, what must we do? That's exactly what St. Josemaria here quotes. You must be fully formed to face the rush of people that is going to press upon us with a specific urgent question. Well, then what must we do? What must, we, what must be done? That's a specific question, and it's said under the tone of urgency. Because maybe the way Peter said it, he kind of like blamed them for all this. At least that's what they, they understood, that this was urgent. That, I mean, it was urgent for them to know the truth and to embrace the truth. They could just be like lackadaisical about it. So what must we do? And so he just tells them straight up. He said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise belongs to you and your children and to all who are far off, to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. So he was, you know, repent, be baptized. And that, well, that's what they had to do. Those are the actual, that's what we had to do, he said. And we were told like 3,000 people were baptized that day. 3,000 people, you know. Here, how many we have? 70 people or 3,000? That's like, that's good for a sore arm of baptism, right? And uh, like, <laughs> like one, two, 
I mean, just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, three thousand. I mean, you know, probably say, can you help me? Can you guys just stop sitting around and help me? Right? And John would go, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. A lot of people were baptized, and then a lot of people uh, repented. And as a result of their repentance, the Holy Spirit and the baptism, the, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and suddenly they, were, they came to know their faith. They came to understand so what does all this say to us? You've been baptized, I suppose. And what does it really mean when, again, in answer to that question, what must we do? Maybe you can say, well, I've been baptized, so what do you want me to do? I've done it. No, okay, good. But that's only the beginning. But he's really saying, in answer to that question, what must we do? Well, St. Josemia said, you must be fully formed. You must be fully formed to face the Russian people that's going to come to you and ask you, what must we do? You must be fully formed. So maybe in your context, yeah, you have people, friends, uh, at school, uh, in your work environment, who may ask you that question, maybe indirectly, maybe not so clearly, but in some way, in your friendships, they're kind of like saying, what must I do to have a happy life? What must I do to have a life with meaning, right? So that I can be happy even though there's things that are going awry in my life or I'm worried or I'm stressed uh, or I don't know how to do this or that uh, or I'm just worried about what am I going to do in my life? Uh, what, what kind of work am I going to do? Or, or I have a relationship with my parents that is rocky or difficult or I have this tendency to be upset or I get depressed in some way we have to hear that question from our friends people who are close to us in that kind of inner circle they're somewhere saying what must I do and maybe we haven't fully heard that yet and of course it's also a question that we have to ask, what must I do? What must I do? And the answer is, we have to be fully formed. In other words, we probably all have a basic knowledge of the catechism, probably have a basic knowledge of your faith, maybe how to explain it. And uh, he will not... You know, he will, he will ask us to, to know our faith deeply, but we can't just think that we can just send somebody off just to the priest. Well, you can do that, but that's not enough. We have to be able to explain. Of course, they can go to the priest for confession, and, but you have to explain. You have to have that formation. You have to be fully formed. You have to be ready. But only that can happen if we are actually exposed to, to the truth if we reflect on it, if we read the scriptures, and there are a lot of things in the scriptures, I don't understand this, and then we have to be formed, you have to uh, ask and learn, and through a spirit of prayer, come to be like nicely formed. You've, you've, some of you may have taken a piece of clay, and I'm sure you've done this on a potter's wheel. You kick the, the thing below you, and the, and the wheel starts spinning, and you take an unformed lump of clay and you pour a little bit of water and within seconds you can form like a vase and then you put your finger down and it goes out 
and it's it's quite amazing how fast those those potter's wheels work and 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 you form what was previously just a lump of clay it is something that can be actually usable and then you fire it you put it in a special kiln and you fire it and it gets solid and then you fire it again you glaze it and uh, it, so it's not porous and it becomes water resistant and uh, that's what we have to be we have to be not just a lump of clay just like a bump on a log but somebody who has taken an initiative to really know their faith well we could be a little bit like that process you've probably heard about in biology class like the process of photosynthesis in plants I don't know what grade you learned that maybe grade 9 or I don't know what grade but you know how with the spring leaves start to appear and they and they're green they're green why are look we're looking around there's lots of green greenery around why is that because those leaves are exposed to the rays of the sun and as the rays of the sun come into those leaves they take up the nutrients that are in the rays and they become fixed in 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 the leaves themselves they the actual rays of the sun nourish those leaves and uh, it's a process called photosynthesis honestly right now i'm just going back to 40 50 years ago to my grade 9 photosynthesis class and i have an image of a you know very bland looking slide so i don't remember exactly maybe i should go to wikipedia and figure it out but but we can absorb the sun of justice you know who wants to transform us from within to to form your sense of confidence your sense of we call it maybe self esteem but above all your sense that you are a daughter of god that god loves you so that you can be, you can grow like those leaves become beautifully green beautifully vibrant and then produce flowers so you don't look plain and boring and you know in the place where i'm staying now it's like a house and i was it's nobody's ever there right so well they're there but not not regularly and there was a plant there in the living room and it was like wilting like this and kind of like brown not quite brown but just like like that and i said oh this plant it needs it needs water and maybe nobody's had a chance to water this plant but then i just touched the plant and it's plastic you know it's a plastic it's a plastic plant you know so i don't think i'm going to water a plastic plant but maybe we're just like a plastic plant kind of wilty looking cheaply made probably at walmarts or wherever they buy these things and uh, but no you're a real plant you need to be watered and the water and the sun of justice will make you beautiful and vibrant not superficially agreeing to everything that you hear and say and are told but letting really the truth about god the truth about man the truth about the world the truth about the purpose of your life really deeply sink in 
But for that to happen, we have to be exposed to the rays of the sun, which we find, of course, in Scripture, the Word of God, and let Him speak to you in silence, in your prayer, just reading about the faith, reading about the teaching of the Church, just reading the Scripture. Now, you might think, well, is it true that the Scripture is the Word of God? Like, if you were asked, what is Scripture? You would probably say, well, it's the Word of God. But it isn't. The Scripture is not the Word of God, strictly speaking. The real Word of God is Jesus. He's the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and He is God speaking. The Word of God. I mean, that is truly the Word of God. Now, Scripture is also the Word of God, but it's really the Word of men, inspired by God, so that we understand His Word, His teaching, what He wants us to know. But the real, 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 real Word of God is Jesus, the second person. And He is the one who walked the earth. He is the one who was crucified, died, and was buried. And He is the one, of course, on His own power, who rose again because he is the eternal living word of God. Scripture is, yes, we understand what we mean when we say it's the word of God, but it's really the word of men inspired by God. So it's like top word of God is Jesus. Second is scriptures that he inspired us to write. And all that has to kind of sink in, has to, has to sort of, yeah, seep into our souls so that we can um, be able to respond to that urgent, almost dramatic question, what must I do? How must I have a happy life? How can I have meaning in my life? Right? And in that sense, formation, knowledge of the faith, reading, learning is like the key that opens the door to a sanctified life, a mission, a life of efficaciousness, and of joy. It's a key. You know, right now I have a key into that house. And a few times I couldn't find the key. Right? I said, what pocket did I leave my key in? And I finally found it eventually. You know, But it's one of those things, just a tiny little key. It's just a key. But without that key, I was already thinking, okay, well, if I break in the back and I go down there, you know, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't have to do that because I found the key. But for a while, I couldn't find the key. Right? So the key is the formation which will open and allow us to get into the temple of God right? so that we know the purpose of our life. It's kind of like removing the stone where Jesus was when he was in the tomb. It's, he removed the stone so that he could, we could see that he was risen. He didn't have to remove the stone. Jesus could have risen without the stone being removed. Like, it's like no problem, you know. Like, just leave it closed. Yeah, but then we would not have known that he rose. That's why the key, that's why not the key, but what, that's why the stone was removed so that they could see it was empty. Otherwise, it would have been closed. He would have been risen, and they would not have known. So the key to enter into the temple and this, to remove the stone is really that formation that we have to commit to, acknowledge our need for, and just commit to doing something to know, grow in the faith every day. And there we can make a plan and, and really be filled with that radiant 
sense of purpose in our life. And Our Lady will help us. She'll intercede for us. And above all, the Holy Spirit will inspire us so we can answer that question, what must I do? And we will know. We'll be able to answer that with confidence. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.